what are you doing with your life right now? Homework. <laughs> <laughs> Homework. Uh, uh, what else? Are you at school? Like, these guys are missing you. Like, they were like, hey, oh, yeah. where'd Ben go? So a lot of people have asked me that question. Where did you go? Oh, so I went back to school. I still have one more year left at Liberty. Awesome. I didn't graduate yet. Yeah, a lot of people were like, dude, what happened to Ben after this summer? And so they've been asking, like, where is he at and things like that. And so I wanted just to give you a chance just to update people on your life. And, like, typically on a Wednesday night, what are you doing with your life? So I served back in my home church in Thomas Road. We have a ministry very similar to this one, one but also very different in many ways as well. Mike actually used to be one of the youth pastors is there. That's a long time ago, but uh, man, it's, it's cool, I'll tell you, like to see you back up here. I know a lot of people are excited about what you're doing, and you're breaking down the end of our series, Christianity Deconstructed, and I think this is important to you, and you're going to tell us why here in just a minute. So I'm going to just uh, upshut and let you have the stage. It's all yours, bro. There you go. Well, hey, guys, I'm so excited to be back here with you guys. I've missed you all so much. <laughs> Thank you all. I appreciate it. But yeah, and so but it gives me great joy to see you guys. I love seeing y'all's faces. For y'all who are on B-Real, I love seeing what you guys are doing. And, but what gives me even more joy is knowing that one day we'll be in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're also included in that. So the kingdom of heaven is a fascinating place to me and to many of you guys as well. Because all of us have all these different ideas and thoughts of what it could be like. Whether we get those ideas from scripture, from a old children's book that we read as a kid, and or from some random guy online. I guarantee you right now, there's at least one person in this room who thinks that heaven is where we all go up to the sky, and we all hang out in a bunch of clouds, wear a bunch of long white robes of going circles around our head, and sprout little wings. And we all just gather around an old guy in a chair and just watch him all day. Thankfully, that's not all what heaven is like or what God is like. And some of us right now are probably imagining these giant pearly gates, and streets of gold, giant houses, it's a bunch of characters from the Bible walking around talking to people. And while that's partly true, that's only a fragment of what heaven is really like. And see, heaven is much better than that. See, here's what Jesus Christ himself has to say about heaven in Revelation 7, 15 through 17. There before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter him with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For a lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll lead in the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. In heaven, like it says, night and day, we get to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Night and day, he'll protect us in his presence. He'll shelter us. We don't have to worry about our food or water anymore. We don't have to worry about how we're going to make ends meet. If you guys look back at Genesis 3, he went and Adam was cursed by God to continuously work and toilsome labor that seemed fruitless. God will remedy that in heaven. No longer will be trapped in that cycle. And like it says, the Lord will lead us to springs of living water. No longer do we have these bodily needs that drag us down. What blows me in the way the most is that Christ promises that he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. I mean, there's no more hurt, no more sadness. No more anxiety, no more depression. He solves it all. Everything will be whole and complete. We won't be lacking in anything. And that's amazing. And that, that should get, fill us with hope. But what are we supposed to do into that day? As right now, we're still stuck on earth. Well, Christ gives us, us instructions on what to do before we either go up to him or he comes back, back to earth. Has anyone here ever been a dog sitter? 
I love dog sitting. It is so fun. I'm not really the best at it, but people keep paying me to do it for some reason. See, when you are given a dog to watch over, the owner expects you to be able to trust you, to leave that dog in your care, and know that will be safe and secure. For that whole time while the owner is gone, um, you are responsible for its food, its water, its safety, making sure it does not go to the bathroom inside, and making sure it does not get run over by a car. And the owner, and when he comes back, he expects you to, to get the dog back to him in either exact same condition, if not better. And that is similar to what Christ has, has called us to do. So if, you, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 19, 11 through 27. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to a faraway country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered his servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minutes more. <clears throat> and he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, Lord your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, hey, Lord, here's your minna, which you kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and reap what you do not sow. He said to him, I'll condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why did, and did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming, I might have collected of interest? He said to those who stood by, take the minna from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. He said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And he replies, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Master these enemies of mine, who do not want me to reign over them. Bring them here and start them before me. And that is a pretty heavy passage. A passage that at first glance is very confusing and hard to understand. But Jesus wants to hammer in the point that he wants us to live as if heaven is tomorrow. See, in this passage, Christ and his disciples are, are going to Jerusalem. His disciples are just in a three-year-long journey with them, listening to Jesus' teaching, watching him perform signs and miracles, and healing people. And so the disciples heard all the prophecy that Jesus was giving over the past few years, and they had all these different ideas of why Jesus came to earth to begin with. And so they thought that as soon as Jesus took step into Jerusalem, he began to conquer the city, and from Jerusalem, conquer the Roman Empire, and eventually take over the entire world. And they thought that each one of them would be given in little parts of the world to rule over. But that's not all why Jesus Christ came. Us looking back from 2,000 years later, we know that Jesus Christ came and said that he could die for our sins and resurrect and go up to heaven, all out of love for us. And so, oh, Jesus, he wants to destroy that misconception. And so he gave them in this parable that which he just read. See, in this parable, Jesus compares himself to a nobleman who goes away to claim a kingdom for himself. And back during Jesus' time, um, they lived under the, the rule of Rome. And how Rome set up their government is they had one emperor over everybody. And this one an emperor ruled over all of Rome, but he didn't want to bear that responsibility all on his shoulders. 
So what he did is he split apart his empire into small kingdoms and territories for other people to rule under him. And so if you're going to inherit one of these small kingdoms, because you have to go from that kingdom, journey your way up to Rome, and under the emperor, or say, I claim this, this kingdom, I'll rule it for you, under you. And they return back to the kingdom before you actually begin to rule it. And so Jesus compares himself to a, no, a nobleman who's already claimed the, the kingdom that he, he rightfully inherits. And so in the parable of Jesus, he, he gathers up tens of servants, or no one does. He gives them each our, our responsibility of taking one minna and doing business with it until he returns. You see, a minna was like a small treasure. One minna was worth about three months' salary for the people of that day. And so this minna for us represents an opportunity to share the gospel with others. You see, Christ has given us a slain that's worth far more than any earthly treasure we have. He wants us to share it with others, our people that he loves and died for. But you know why Christ has come to give salvation to all? Some people have chosen to reject him, even become enemies of him. In verse 14, Jesus tells us that the nobleman's citizens hated him and sent a, a protest and told the emperor that they did not want the nobleman to rule over them. And this reflects what the world has done to Jesus. See, Jesus was Messiah who was prophesied for thousands of years. They come first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And it was being us. When Jesus came to the earth and when he did ministry to the Jews, they all rejected him and gave him accusations and, and turned him over to the, the Romans to be persecuted and eventually crucified. And so even though Christ loves the people of the world, they rejected him. But Christ is still reaching out to the ones that have rejected him. So Christ has given us a mission of making his love known to all so they may be eventually saved. And Christ has given you opportunities and responsibilities and take what he's done in your life and share it with others. But with responsibility also does come accountability and giving account to the one that we serve. In verse 15, the nobleman, upon his return, asked his servants, what did they do of what they are given? And the first servant, he took like one minna and made ten minas more. And so the nobleman, and he responds to him and says, I'll give you ten cities in my kingdom. And he gives him an even greater reward of saying, well done, good servant. And in the second, I was able to produce his five minas of the one minna that he was given. And so the master says, thank you, I'll give you five cities in my kingdom. These servants worked as if their master was going to come back any day now. They worked as if that day was tomorrow. But then we get to the third servant. The third servant did something disgusting. He took the minute that was given to him and put it in a handkerchief. And see, a handkerchief is basically a reusable tissue. He took a small treasure and put it in a used napkin. And it hid it away until it was time for his master to return. But then he does something even worse. He starts to accuse the master, calling him a harsh and severe man, and accuse him of depositing what he can't give and reaping what he can't sow. And so no man turns his own words against him and says, okay, I'll be that for you. And so he, he takes, takes the minna, hopefully cleaning it off, and gives it to the servant who had ten cities. And people were, were in shock about this. He said, how can you? He has, has ten cities now. Why would you take the one thing this guy had and give it to him? See, we also got to realize the servants didn't even deserve a minute in the first place. That was a nobleman giving them something that they didn't need or earn. So that was already more than enough. But the nobleman also replies and says, I'll give it to someone who can use it, someone who will use it if for good. 
Then the Novan does something that seems pretty harsh and extreme and drastic for us. What he does is he tells his servants to round up everybody that opposed him. Those rebels, those who are a threat to the kingdom, and slaughter them. And that, that seems harsh and confusing. And what, my first glance at reading this, as I was blown away by that, was so you also got to understand who these rebels represent. See, God created this whole universe so that we may dwell in it and worship him and so he can love us. But see, there's enemies of God, Satan and demons, and even false prophets on this earth who want to attack at Christ and what he stands for. And see, these rebels also represent people that are a harm to the kingdom and mislead people. So Jesus is saying, and you get rid of them, so no more or maybe harmed by this. And so and the kingdom can go on. And reading this, I hope everyone in here wants to be a servant that was given 10 cities. I hope everyone wants to be a servant that gets to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But how do we get to that point? How, how do we start understanding Christ and following after him and so we can get to that part of our life? Well, let's look at what Romans 12, 1 through 2 tells us. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Because Christ has loved us so much, he took the punishment for our sin. Christ has loved us so much that he gave himself as a sacrifice. We need to live differently. We need to become a whole new person. We need to become a sacrifice for Christ, a living one. I mean, we are to live this as life by worshiping Christ of every thought, word, or action that we can produce. And living like this and being transformed over time leads us to become like the first servant. We need to take our, our salvation from sin and hell that Christ so graciously and mercifully give, gave to us and use every opportunity we have so all people may have this opportunity as well. So all people are let, led into the loving arms of our Father God. We need to live as if heaven is tomorrow. Because in verse 2, we're given a warning. A warning to not be conformed to this world. And see, so we cannot be conformed to this world and expect to lead people to Christ. We need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds uh, so we may know God's will and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When we live like the world, we actually betray Christ and become enemies of him. The one who is so uh, uh, claimed to love because he loved us first. And we also, become, also in a way become like the rebels who opposed Christ. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the third servant and the unfaithful, the third unfaithful servant and the rebels treated their nobleman the exact same way. And so we call ourselves a servant of Christ, but if we betray him, we act as if we are his enemy. And we, we as, I'm not perfect. There's been times where I betrayed Christ as well. We, we all dog on Judas for betraying Christ for 30 pieces of silver. But every day, we do the same for much less. You see, the unfaithful servant and the rebels are both accusers of, Christ, of the nobleman. And honestly, at that point, the unfaithful servant might as well have been a spy. Do you guys know what it takes to be a spy? When you get ready for this, I went through this deep YouTube rabbit trail of figuring out what it takes for someone to be a spy. I did not do much homework at all last week. Yeah, but see, I found out that if a Russian wants to be American, he must go through hours of training to look like one. What they do is they change their entire outfits, they drop up their accents to pick up a fake one, and spend months practicing it. You know, all the, all the dialect, all the, the slang, 
hang all the gestures that the Americans do. And over time, it looked no different than any other American. Except on the inside, they act just like a Russian or really selling secrets to the enemy. But one story that absolutely fascinated me described how the FBI spent months tracking down this one spy. They spent months watching his every move, but they could not get anything on him. Nothing to bring him in and convict him or question him. And so they brought in a behavior analysis specialist. And they combed through hours of footage. Or finally, they found one thing that gave him away. The spy, he walked into a flower shop, bought flowers, and then walked out. Seems pretty normal, doesn't it? But see, in that one action, they're able to pin down one thing he did wrong. You see, Americans, when we buy flowers, you buy flowers and hold it by the base, the flowers popping out the top. But what Eastern Europeans do is they do it upside down. They hold it like this, the flowers popping out the bottom, and carry it like a briefcase when they, when they walk. And so from then, they were able to corner him, him asking questions, and they got him to confess to being a spy. It was mind-blowing. See, the entire time the spy was pretending to be American, he was pretending to be on our side. But one mistake was able to throw off the entire illusion, illusion of him being one of us. In the same way, a lot of times we try to make ourselves like we're a follower of Christ, but we really do work for the enemy. Because if you guys have sin in your life, and it's not addressed, you don't find accountability for that, over time it starts to creep in, become a bigger monster than it was before, and starts to show up in your life, and gives away your true identity. But if we have spies in our kingdom, if at times we, we ask us ourselves to be a spy, how do we know what takes me a far of Christ? How do we know what the marks of a true Christian are? Romans 12, 9 through 21 tells us this. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in showing zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show them hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, these are the marks of a true Christian. And yeah, I know that last part where it says heap burning coals on someone's head seems pretty violent, but it's actually not what it is. That's just a metaphor that they use in talking about giving warmth to people back in the day. It's not as crazy as it sounds. Now, I'm not saying that you also have to be a, a perfect Christian to follow Christ. It's that's the opposite of like what Christ preached. What Christ preached is that you need to be a follower of him that constantly pursues him. Now, over time, these marks will begin to show up in your life, and your allegiance from um, Satan will slowly begin to shift towards Christ instead. And I want to ask you guys this. Do you guys show, show these marks in your life? When you guys go to school, is it very easy for people to tell that you are a Christian? Or do we look like the people we go to school with who don't know Christ? When you're on your sports teams, and the way you play and the way you react, does that show who Christ is and what he's done in your life? 
Or does it show your old fleshy self still clinging on? When you go online, if you pull up your search history, not the one that you cleared out, well, it showed that you are far of Christ. In your homes, do you show your parents that you're far of Christ, your siblings that Christ loves them? Or even in your own time, are you still following Christ? Or do you show the marks of the enemy? What do your words, thoughts, and actions say about you and who you follow? So when we become followers of Christ, we are transformed and renewed by him. We forsake the things in the world and give it all up in exchange for something greater. We lose our identity and what this world is. And you guys know what a dual citizen is? In our context, a dual citizen is someone with American citizenship, but also citizenship in a country that's foreign to ours. This happens as, usually because as a child is born in America, but their parents are from a different country. It's a great thing to have for us. But if a dual citizen wants to enlist in the military, they must do one thing. Before they get ever enlist, they must revoke and disavow all their citizenships to different countries before they give you an enlist and begin to fight. Now see, when fighting a war, a soldier can only fight for one side. And that's just like following Christ. We must do the same thing. We cannot follow Christ and expect to bring people to him unless we have forsaken and revoked the world. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot bow down to two kings. We cannot follow two poor opposites. We can only follow Christ, not the enemy. We need to live for Christ the responsibility that he has given to us. We need to live as if heaven is tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you for staying, Lord. God, thank you for your students. God, there's a student here that doesn't know you, Lord. God, help them know that they are loved by you. That they're calling you into a relationship with them. God, help them know that, that you died for them. And, and that you love them so much that you're still pursuing after them. God, help us to all share your word with people. God, help us to be about your business and not our own desires. Lord God, help us to be constant pursuit in you and live as if heaven is tomorrow. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you all. Y'all go to groups now.